Hey, this is Mike Brake, the lead pastor at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. Just want to say thank you so much for stopping by the podcast today. I hope you feel encouraged and I hope you feel inspired today to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Enjoy the message. All right, so it says in Acts chapter 2, this is the, we talked about last week, the birth of the church. And this is where we start to see it really kind of come alive and come into action. Peter had just preached a sermon, which we know as Pentecost, the sermon at Pentecost. And it says that 3,000 people uh, gave their life to Jesus right there. And then, boom, you went from about 100 Christians to about 3,000 and 100 Christians, megachurch, right at the very beginning. And it says, this is a summary passage. Luke is the author of Acts, and he kind of gives a summary right after that. He says, okay, well, you got these new, new converts, and here's what happened. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They Get this, get this. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared the meals with great joy and generosity. And all the while praising God, which we have been doing, and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Suffice it to say, this first church didn't just go to church. They were the church. They were being the church. And as we as Freedom Church have started, this right here has served as the model and template for how we want to move forward. Now, <laughs> you're right. Wait a minute, I didn't know I was coming to church today and you're going to tell me to sell my house and possessions. And, and I'm not going to do that, all right? I'm not going to do that. But this here, we're going to glean some things today, some things, some principles that I want to look at in this first century church. Um, and, and I want to take next steps together. That's what, our, that's what our mission is at Freedom Church, to help people take the next step in their relationship with Jesus together. And so for some of us, that might be a small step, it might be, hey, I just need to go and have this conversation, um, which actually may be a big step. For some of us, it may be I, the next step is I need to forgive someone. The next step for somebody might be um, I need to get baptized. I've never really fully identified with Christ and said, I, you know, I, I believe in Christ. I have a relationship with him, but I've never really made that public. And that's your next step. Maybe it's joining a connect group. Maybe it's, it's saying, hey, I, I need a church family, and I need to plug in during this time, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go after that. We want people here that are taking next steps of faith. We don't just go to church. We don't just play church. We are the church, and we're going to be followers of Jesus. So when he speaks, we will take that next step. But we also tag on, not only are you taking that next step with Jesus in our mission, but we say we're going to do that together, together. Because when you put in your step of faith, and you put in your step of faith, and you put in your step of faith, and I put in mine, you're going to see God move daily and change lives daily in your lives and throughout this entire community. This together piece is huge. This together piece is absolutely huge. 
Now, I want to ask a question. I'm a little bit scared, um, but it's okay. You can put this in the comments or I'm just going to have you share. I kind of want some honesty here. What is the church known for? In, in, in your opinion today, and, and there can be some positive and negative, so um, I'm okay with the negative. I got a lot of church hurt and church baggage in my, in my own. But just shout out, what is, what, do you th- what is the church today known for? What are some of those things, good or bad? Discipleship? Discipleship. Fellowship? Bringing people together, all right, if you're joining in online, you can go ahead and put that in there. What do you feel like is some of the, what is the church known for? Any, hypocrites, all right, thank you, Rindle. I appreciate, I, I kind of want, want to hear some of these things. You think these things, just go ahead, I'm asking you to say them. What, what else, anything else you want to add in there? What is the church known for? Generosity, judgment, bigots, love, boring. Worship. Do you see the kind of extremes that kind of come across here? Like there's, there's a lot of good, but then there's a lot of, of, of negative. And quite honestly, if, you're, if your general thoughts, hypocrisy, community I see coming across, if, if some of your tend to go towards the negative, I'm not trying to bash you or, or anything. If, in many ways, I want to lean into those things. Uh, in some cases, I might have been the cause of that, or I may not have, but on behalf of the church, I am a pastor, and I do want to apologize because those things, a lot of those things that we have in our, and, and the hurts that are real and the baggage that we carry, they are real, um, and it's not supposed to be that way. And it's not supposed to be that way. Um, sometimes churches are known for what they're against more than what they're for. Sometimes uh, someone said boring. To me, that's one of the things that came up in my, in my mind. If you think about the church from an outside-the-world perspective, people who don't go to church, um, they may be spiritual, they may be Christians, or they may not. They may just be nothing. No, not nothing. They're not nothing. They're just, I don't have any religious or spiritual interest at all. Is The church is irrelevant, like massively irrelevant. Like it has no uh, emphasis on, on their lives. Some people view the church as a threat. It's a, it could be a threat, a da- something that's dangerous. I mean, I really can't, I'm not trying to control what people think about it, but to me, um, I just know we all have our own thoughts about what the church is, what it should be, um, and what needs to be fixed. Um, a lot of times churches, you would think, beliefs. A church is known for what they believe in. And I've been a part of some church communities and friends when we talk about beliefs, and what you would really come to think of is all these secondary beliefs. Like they get really excited about which version of the Bible, uh, which translation and which version of the Bible. And they want to just talk about that all the time, which is fun. It's a fun conversation, but it's not really uh, uh, massively important when it comes to what is the church supposed to be about. Uh, when we talked about Jesus last week, he was very clear that we need to be focused on the beliefs are very important. Beliefs are very important, and I love Bible translations, but he was clear that we need to be uh, um, focused in on the majors, and that's kind of what we're going through in the, in the series, um, the core beliefs. So we could argue about predestination all day long, but that, that to me is, is not the central aspect of what this church is about. Last week, we saw Jesus say, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am, Peter? And Peter said, you are the Messiah. 
And he's like, you got it right. Very clear about the important major things and what we, the church is supposed to, to be about. And we're all going to have different thoughts and opinions and preferences on all the secondary stuff. And we give you freedom to believe different things. We're not going to fight about those things. But when it comes to these majors, we're going to be crystal clear. And he said last week, this is my church, Jesus said. Jesus said, this is my church. And all the powers of hell will not stop this thing. This is the vehicle. This is the tool. This is the instrument I'm going to use to reach the world. And it's, it's to us today. It is in our hands. To, that mission is still ours today, to go be that light and salt in the world. Now, talking about what is the church known for, let me just kind of round this out so we can keep mo- moving forward. The first century church wasn't known so much for their beliefs. To the surprise of most of the people, and when you read through the New Testament, the first century church was known for, Christians were known for, things that they did. They, they, they were generous. And they could point to it. They said people were selling property. They were sharing things. They, there, there was this idea that now everybody had dignity. Everybody had worth. That was extremely appealing to the people around them who were slaves, the people around them who did not have power and status. If you know, Jesus would harp on His disciples because so many times they were so hung up on status. Who's, can I sit next to you in heaven, Jesus? Can I have like the greatest position in heaven next to you? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? What's the greatest commandment? How can I, you know, all these things. And he was, he's like, you're, you're, it's not about power and status and position. Everybody has worth. Everybody is, is worth loving. And, and this new community started to live these things out. And other people would see that and that would catch the eyes of other people. Look at, look at this community that's now living together. Look at this community that where outcasts are welcomed in. Where this generosity with no strings attached, people are being loved on and cared for. It was attractive. Imagine, imagine a Christianity that was lived out, a church that lived out the mission of Jesus so much where atheists and skeptics who may not believe would look at it from the outside in and say, you know, even though I don't believe that, I kind of wish it were true. Like, I kind of want a piece of that that would kind of lean in a little bit to investigate, to say there's something there. God started to work in the lives of this community right from the beginning. Now, one generation passed. I, I, I ran across this, and I thought this was fascinating, and I want to share this with you. This is in the first century. This is the first century church. We're going to talk about them. But the church has continued on till today. And, and even though the church has had some very, very, very dark moments in its history, like Crusades or the Spanish Inquisition, where you read it and you're like, how did we just totally get this whole thing backwards. I wouldn't even call it Christianity to some extent when you go through church history, but there was always a remnant that was there. There was always a remnant that was there. I love church history and I kind of nerd out on it, but um, I want to I show you this was in uh, somewhere around 111 AD or 113 AD 
Pliny was a kind of a governor of, of, of a Roman region, and he had just encountered Christians for the first time. And now he's going to write the Emperor Trajan because he doesn't know how to handle these Christians. They don't believe that, uh, that Rome, Caesar, is God. They don't believe that Caesar is a deity, so they're not bowing down to him. What should we do with that? Because this could cause problems for our community, for our economy. We're not worshiping and appeasing all the gods like we should. They just worship this one God, Jesus. And so he's trying to figure out. So he writes this letter. Hang with me here because I think this is cool. I just thought this was fascinating. What were our people doing in 111 AD? So Pliny writes, he says, I've, I've followed this, fo fo uh, this following procedure. I bring the Christians in. I interrogated them as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed that they were, I interrogated a second and a third time. Threatening them with punishment, those who persisted, I ordered executed. So if you want to argue about uh, persecution today, um, let's, let's, let's line up with, with, with these guys here. I know there are people who are around our world being persecuted for their faith, but sometimes we, we claim persecution and um, they, they just confess they were Christians and executed. For I had no doubt that whatever the nature of their creed, stubbornness and inflexibility, obstinacy, surely deserve, they, they deserve to be punished. They were so stubborn, those Christians. They, they were, there were others possessed by the same folly, but because they were Roman citizens, just because of their citizenship, I signed the order to be transferred to Rome. And then he had some Christians, well, uh, then he goes on. He says, an anonymous document was published containing the names of many persons. So he receives this anonymous document. Those who denied that they were or had been Christians when they invoked the gods in words dictated me, off, they offered prayer with incense and wine to your image, which I had ordered to be brought for this very purpose together with the statues of gods, and they also cursed Christ. So he brought everyone in that was on this anonymous document, and some of them said, no, I'm not a Christian, and this is what they had to do to prove it. It says, none of which those who are really Christians can, it is said, be forced to do, so these thought I would just discharge you're free to go. Now, as he investigated, what was so outrageous about these Christians? What was so, like they were causing so much trouble that why would he go and, and execute them and persecute them in the, in the area that he is, he is uh, governing? Pliny writes to the emperor, he says, these Christians, they asserted, however, when he investigated that the sum and substance of their fault and error all right, so this is what I investigated. What do these Christians do? Here's what I found out. It's been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn. Now, they don't have a, a typical, you know, five-day work week and a weekend off here. They're, they're, they got to work. They got to work and they got to work. So uh, imagine this group of Christians facing this type of persecution. And uh, we're going to have church, but we got to meet before dawn. Um, can you imagine you guys trying to come and meet before, before the sun comes up? Because this is the time that we have to gather together and worship. Can you imagine? Just put yourself in their shoes. Yeah, uh, uh, that's not a, not a good attractional way to invite people in. This is what they did. These are our people. They met on a fixed day before dawn, and they sung responsively to a hymn to Christ as to God and to bind themselves by an oath. Now, what's this oath that these people would bring in this society? not to do some crime, but not to commit fraud, 
theft or adultery, not to falsify their trust, nor to refuse or return a trust when called upon to do so. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again to partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. I think they were Baptists, maybe. They would get together and have a meal afterwards. This is one of the, one of the out of antiquity, out of the documents that we have in antiquity, this is one of the first ones that we have, one of the earliest documents that we have that just gives us some sort of insight to that early Christian community. What were they doing? How did they do it? And we find that they weren't some terrible group of people causing disruption in, in, in this society that you know, they were saying, hey, we're taking an oath. We're not going to commit crime. We're not going to commit adultery. We're going to stay faithful to our spouse. This, these are our people in the first century or the second century living this thing out under a heavy burden. So as we look through this, this has always existed and it continues with us today. I just find that fascinating. I find that absolutely fascinating. I want to give you three things today that can, you can find yourself in a healthy spot and a healthy church no matter where you go. Be it in the first century, second century, or I don't know what century we are, 21st century? I'm confused. <laughs> I always give, yeah. Um, and if you move, because we have people who come here and you are amazing and you pour in to this community while you're here, and then a lot of people we move away, this right here will set you up for a healthy life, a healthy family, a healthy church community everywhere you go. This church, this first century church, everyone was known. Everyone is known. I want a church, Freedom Church, where everyone is known. Now, that's different than everybody knows everybody. That can't even happen here today. In a, I, I can know a few people. I can know a handful of people. I can know a lot of names, but I can't really know you know you. And so that's not the goal for everybody to know everybody. Impossible even in here impossible for that first century church that had 3,000 people, but everybody is known. Do you have even one? Do you have somebody who can be that solid place, that safe place for you where you can be who you are, good, bad, and ugly, accepted and welcomed? It says all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. Now, it kind of sounds a little bit like communism, in, it, in a way, it, it kind of leans towards that, but it's not, it's not, believe me, not the, um, what I would say, sinful type of just oppressive type of communism that you see in, in our world today, not even remotely close. But you see this idea that what I have is not mine, it is yours. I'm not promoting any sort of ideological thing. I'm just saying it kind of has that hint of that, and that's not what it's promoting. But this idea that what's mine has been given to me and it's for other people. It says they worshiped together at the temple each day and then they met in homes. We would get together as a large group together and then we would go home to home and get to know people. Now, I know one of the biggest challenges of Freedom Church and just in Los Alamos and in general is building relationships. It is really hard, many of you could amen and raise your hand and say, it is hard 
to build relationships. It's hard to make a friend. I'm here. I know people, but I don't really know anyone. How do you build a relationship? Well, let me give you a few little things. The, the foundation of any relationship is trust. you got to have some sort of trust. The more trust we have, the deeper we can go in intimacy and relationship and sharing and being known by one another. And so it starts with some sort of trust. Well, how do you build trust? How do you build that connection? I got a simple, this is for me, it helps me. Empathy plus connection or plus vulnerability equals connection. A little equation, I think linear, so I, got it, I need some help. Empathy plus vulnerability equals connection. I want a church where you see people. I want Freedom Church to be a place where we see people as God sees people. Empathy. I'm not in your shoes, but if I, if I show some empathy to try to put myself into your shoes, if I see you, I can start to have compassion. Jesus had said he, he, was, he was tired and he was overwhelmed and he looked out at the people and it says as he looked out, he saw and he had compassion for them for they were like sheep without a shepherd. The biggest, the biggest issue with empathy that we have, that you and I have, why don't you see people? Why don't I see people? We're busy. We have no margin in our heart to, to open up for other people to allow in, to have some, some heart space and some compassion for other people. We are so busy and filled up and on the go and my prayer for you in this year, and my prayer for our church, is that you would have some heart margin, some space for empathy, where you actually see people. Because so, so many times, oh, you're hurting? I hear that. That's sad, but I got to go and do this. See you later. I love you. I'll pray for you. And there's nothing wrong with that. But to really see somebody, to really have empathy, we got to slow down. We really have to slow down. Empathy plus vulnerability equals connection. I want a vulnerable church. I want, I want a vulnerable church where we don't have to wear a mask. Now, we do have to wear a mask in here, all right? Part of our agreement, please wear a mask when you're in here. I don't like the mask. You don't like the mask. None of us like the mask. I get it while we're here, we wear a mask. Um, that's kind of been my running joke anyway. When I see Christians barking about masks, I'm like, What's the problem? Christians have been wearing masks for centuries. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm with you over there. I don't want to, I want to, so Rendell, you mentioned hypocrites. What's the church known for? Hypocrites wearing a mask. Jesus would call out the Pharisees, the religious people, and say, you hypocrites. What's a, what's a hypocrite? It's the gap between what we, what we say and what we show. What we say and what we show. And we don't fill gaps with perfection. We don't fill gaps with a, gaps with a mask and trying to hide our imperfections. You want to know how you fill gaps with God? It's Jesus. A relationship with Jesus to say, I am imperfect. I don't have it all 
together. And, 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 and I know why, when I'm talking about the church, why do we wear a mask? Why we don't necessarily lean into vulnerability. I mean, it's one thing to put it up there. It's another thing to actually be vulnerable. It's because going back to that church hurt thing, many of us, we were vulnerable. We, were, we did open up and we got hurt. We took a risk, exposed a little bit, and, and we got gutted. And so it's hard to build that trust again to say, can I, can I lean into this? But if you, I, I really believe the end goal is you want relationship. You want to be known. You want to be known by God. You want to be known by others. And we build this thing together called the church. And we go and we live this thing out. And it takes community. It takes empathy. You have to slow down to see other people in front of you. You can't go at a frantic pace of life and think you can build uh, relationships that way. Relationships, the key, slow is fast. Slow is fast with relationships. And so for so many of us, we, we are so loaded up that we don't even have room for that. Vulnerability. You have to take a risk. You have to, to take that risk and lean in. And it starts to build connection. I love how it said that the church, they met in homes. This is actually part of our design of Freedom Church. We don't have a whole lot of programs here. V very few. We got connect groups that I want you to be a part of. We do things on Sunday mornings. COVID has really thrown a wrinkle into this, but I'm not going to back away from it, and I just want to communicate it to everyone here in the room. I want to honor your dinner table. I think discipleship with your kids Yes, we can have a program, and I'm so thankful for Mr. Seth and the leaders who volunteer in there, and we, we can pour into them that way. But I think the best place for discipleship is at the dinner table or the breakfast table where mom and dad and families can be together. And We're not out at a, at a church function after church function after church function with a loaded program schedule, and it's not bad to do those things. I'm just saying for this church here, we have purposely limited the amount of programs so you can be at the dinner table. You want to create a connection with someone, a friendship? What better way than sharing a meal in your home? To see, so to see somebody, to slow down and have a meal with somebody. If you want connection here, we might do some things like a connect group to help create that. But quite honestly, if you want to see that take off further and faster, have people over for dinner. Go out, have coffee with somebody. Build relationships. See people one-on-one. -on -one. Risk and be vulnerable and build that connection. I harp on that a lot, but that's a big one. Everybody was known. They didn't know everybody, but everybody was known and they knew the needs. This is so important moving forward for our church and for your family and for you just your individual life moving forward, building those relationships. It cannot be underscored enough to the health of your life, living out your mission and purpose. You can't do it alone. The second one is everybody is needed. Everybody is needed. This, this section of Scripture, Acts 2, 42 through 47, is like a, the puzzle box top view. 
Like you, you, you got to still put the pieces of the puzzle together. But if you're just looking at the pieces and you're like, I don't know exactly where these are supposed to go. Every now and then you get this, you get this section of scripture where it gives you this box top view that says, this is kind of how it's supposed to look. And you can go back to and say, okay, well, there's some things they, they were praying together. They were in homes together. They were generous together. They were serving. They were devoted. I love that word, devoted. They were devoted. They were, this was not just a casual thing for them. At some point, they made a decision to say, I'm following Jesus. I'm giving all of my life to Him. And I'm going to go love God and love others with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm devoted to seeing this thing happen. The second century comes along. You can imagine the fear of those who are being just questioned. Hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, I am. And you know what's coming down the line. At some point in time, they made a a decision in their life to say, this is who I'm committing my life to. This is who I am following. And it's not just some random thing. We have eyewitnesses who saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. This guy, Jesus, who healed people. This guy, Jesus, who taught amazing things. This guy, Jesus, who got strung up on a cross. And oh, I denied even knowing him at that point. But then a few days later, I saw him alive again. He's God. He's the Savior of the world. And I'm going to go live this thing out. They made a decision. Say, I'm not going to go halfway on this thing. At Freedom Church, I want you to go and take next steps at the pace that you are comfortable with. But at the same time, Jesus is always trying to make us more and more like him. And each one of us have a next step to take. I want you to take that next step. Everyone's needed to support. It said that they were selling their possessions and goods and gave to anyone as he has need. We have this set up at Freedom Church too. We call it the Love Los Alamos Fund. Anytime you see a need, there is a fund here at Freedom Church. You know someone or you yourself are experiencing a need. We can help pay that bill because I don't have the money to pay for somebody else's rent myself. You may not have that money either, but we collectively take money in our Love Los Alamos Fund. 10% of anything you give to Freedom Church goes into the Love Los Alamos Fund. Now, we also have it to where if you're like, well, I'm not comfortable with that. I, I would rather just make sure everything's going into the Love Los Alamos Fund. You can do that too. You can just say, hey, I'm going to give 100% to the Love Los Alamos Fund. And our promise with that fund is whatever goes in there, 100% of it gets given away. So just last year, just last year, Rendell, you gave me the numbers and I forgot what they were. Do you happen to remember them off the top of your head? Just even a total? 30, 33? More than that? Okay, <laughs> More than $33,000 was given away just last year in Los Alamos through our Love Los Alamos Fund because you, you saw a need and we were able to meet it. You were generous and gave and we were able to meet it. At Christmas time, over $15,000 was donated for our year-end Christmas offering. 72 families, uh, we wrote up a little summary that ex- uh, experienced a brighter Christmas with gifts essential to food and clothing. One family living on food stamps got to have a night out at a local restaurant. Three families had their utility bills paid. Three other families had their rent paid. Four families who were assisted were assisted who were experienced illness, surgeries, and injuries, and that had put them in extreme financial debt. 
in partnering with one victim assistance program, we were able to help uh, coordinate with the police department with someone from the victim uh, uh, um, assist program. Just in December, through this church. Yes, you can clap. I, I'm going to like, yes, I, I'm going to like. Oh. That's what a church is about, to be able to, to support other people. Everyone is needed in this. Think about Think about the needs that are in this community and what the church could do if it supported this. To serve. Everyone is needed to serve. Think about that puzzle with each piece. I've never seen a puzzle just come together. And I've never been able to just take a puzzle piece uh, and just jam it into the wrong spot. Like it has its place and everyone is needed. The body is a unit, it says in 1 Corinthians, though it is made up of many parts and through all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. And that's who we are. I want a church where everybody is known, everybody is needed. They realize it's so important. And I want a church where everybody meets Jesus. It says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Those whose lives were being transformed. Those whose lives were being changed radically. They prayed together. They fasted. They gave. They loved. Think about this. The people at the start of that day, they were tax collectors, fishermen, prostitutes. No hope, no peace, no real joy. Desperate searching for anything and everything that might fill that desire in their heart and not finding it. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They ended that day following Jesus. One of the greatest miracles that in any of our lives. Salvation, the gift of grace. This is the church. These are our people. This is how it started off. We are not perfect in this by any means at Freedom Church, but this is our model. And this is our driver on how we are going to live this thing out. So one of the questions I want to ask just to, to end this out for 2022. In 2022, would you rather have more stories or more stuff? Stories. Of course, everybody in here would say, I want more stories in 2022. I want to see more stories in my life. I want to see more God sightings in my life. I want to see God move in me and through me. We all have this belief that that's what we want, but the church was known for the things that they did, and they lived it out, and they lived it out by faith. All of us want more stories, and the church I would say you can, in our world and time right now, we have more opportunity than ever before to live this out. We have more of a responsibility than ever before to go and live this mission out, to go and be a light and tell people about Jesus. We live in a desperate time. We live in a desperate time where people are without hope. They are desperate, seeking anything and everything to fill that void 
And Jesus is who they're looking for. He's the only one that can fill that void for them. Can we stand? Can we stand as we close this thing out? This is really a two-part message. In a way, this is a segue. I just I want to talk about the church. These, this isn't necessarily like, oh yeah, radical new idea. Like this is many of us who are in the church, we know this. A lot of us were practicing this thing out, but we got to make decisions to say, this is how I'm going to live my life. And for many of you, I, I, you know, I, I want you to be in a church where you can plug in, know Jesus and know others and use your gifts and your talents. And if that is Freedom Church, I want to challenge you in 2022, despite all the craziness that is going on, figure out a way to plug in and lead out in this thing. It's not a program. It is not a program. We will put in programs in place to help, but for you to go be the church, to you to go just say, I'm going to invite people into my home. I'm going to slow my schedule down so I can see people in love. How do you change the world? This church, first century church, changed the world. How do you change the world? One conversation at a time. One person at a time. One story at a time. And it happened before. And I believe it can happen again, one step at a time. Let's pray together. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to the podcast this week. I hope you felt inspired to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Just a couple next steps that you can take coming out of this. One, rate and review the podcast. That really does get the message out to other people faster, as well as click subscribe to make sure you get the latest content as it rolls out each week. And finally, if you want to partner with us financially, head on over to our website, click the word give. That's going to get the message out through our ministries further and faster. Have a wonderful week. God bless.